eighth episode of Big Red Ballers, brought to you by Big Red Sports Network. I'm Sohini Singh, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Apeka. Big Red Ballers is the official podcast of Cornell basketball, covering both the men's and women's teams, alternating each week. New episodes will be released every Wednesday that break down recent games and preview the games ahead. Episodes will include exclusive interviews with Cornell Big Red players, coaches, and alumni, which you don't want to miss out on. Be sure to follow BRSN on social media at CornellBRSN or on www.CornellBRSN.com. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So the men's basketball team is coming off. I think it's been a very interesting last couple of days for them. I think some of it's been very intriguing. Some of it, of course, want a little bit of outcomes. But overall, I think it's been a really uh, positive experience. What do you think, Sahini? Um, I think it's definitely been a positive experience. And more than anything, I think it's been a really um, nice period for growth and, you know, just to learn from things. Um, you know, just to, like, backtrack for the fans that maybe have not kept up lately, um, we played Lehigh today. And then before that, we played Syracuse on the 17th, I believe. And then on the 10th, or I believe the 7th, the 7th, we played um, Miami. So Miami resulted in a really tight, tough loss, 107 to 105. Um, that was a crazy game to watch. Um, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, like we were we were all on the couch together watching it. And then Syracuse, um, I I hate to sound like this person, but it was kind of a disappointing show out from our team, 78 to 63. Yeah, we talked talk about Miami. Miami was a crazy game. It was final score 107 to 105, which is for reference is incredibly high for college basketball. Um it was a game where Cornell could have lost very easily. Uh, they got down big in the beginning of the second half. They fought their way back. But like you said, and I don't think there's any real shame in it. Syracuse was just not the best night. And I think it really just comes down to it was a rough shooting day. Overall for the game, the team shot 33% from the field, 27.3, 0% from the free throw line. While being it's over two, still 0% is never always great. And so I think in the end, it was just a really, really tough offensive day. Some of our better scores, like Greg Dolan only had five points, two for six in the field. Um, Nas Williams had scored 12 points and had a pretty inefficient night as well. Same thing with Keller Boothby. So sometimes you have nights like that. Sometimes you just don't make shots. And even one thing that I think made a huge difference with the Syracuse game is typically even in games where we kind of start out cold out the gate, we have people that come off the bench and kind of like make a big difference um, in the scoring. And one of those people is Max Watson. And I believe during the Syracuse game, he went um, 0-6 on threes on um, one large run. Yeah, three points, 0-8. And And that's like not – that – that's not a typical shot for him. Typically, you know, he's one of our clutch three-point shooters. And not just Max. Like, other people coming off the bench just did not score as much. And, you know, we're known for having a deep bench. So it was just, like, an overall, like, lack of cohesiveness. And there was something off. Yeah. In the it was just an yeah. off night. And, like, even yeah. Syracuse's coach mentioned um, in an article, I think Syracuse's um, local radio station for sports, WAER, wrote an article about the game and quoted Syracuse's coaches saying Cornell was better than us by far. Their shots just weren't falling. Yeah. I think you hit right on the head. I mean, Max Washington, he shot three for seven for three against Miami. Pretty good. He shot four for five against uh, way high, which is again, pretty good. But like you said, against Syracuse, he just over eight. It was just overall for everyone. One of the rough nights. So in the first half, the score was tied 37, 37. Second half, Cornell got outscored. And the game kind of just took itself away from there. So I think 
it's a learning experience. Honestly, with the Syracuse game, there's not really much you can go around and just saying that it was a good offensive night. One thing I would point out, though, is that, like you said, definitely want to look for your bench to be more productive, um, only reducing, what, 16 points, 17, 19 points around there. It's not a lot for your bench, for, especially for a bench that's usually really productive. But, I mean, honestly, I think it's nice that that happened, and I think it's better to look at the games like way high where you win, of course, or even in the games like Miami, where even though you lost, there's a lot like the Miami game that you can take away from that. And the Miami game is like, I definitely agree with you. The Miami game, I think we played phenomenally, but it was just a tough loss simply because of the fact that it was so close. And, you know, one thing about Cornell is we leave our all on the court. And you could see that during the Miami game. And it was just, you know, it was one of those things, like we were evenly matched. Yeah. And I mean, and honestly, I think it was a good showing for a lot of guys. Greg Dolan, another sensational all around game, 19.6 assists. Um, Nas Williams, 18 points, five rebounds, five assists. Overall, Sean Hansen was a great game, 14 points. It was a really productive night. Max Watson, like you mentioned, four hit a lot of shots. But I got to tip my hat to Chris Mann, who I think that game, every time they need a bucket, he came around. No, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Like, I mean, Chris Mann went like just crazy that entire game. Mm-hmm. I he scored 18 points, you know, and his free throw at like not free throw average, um, three point average was 33.3%, and the field goal percentage being 51.9%. So just overall being efficient and just also I think he really like I think one thing with um Manon that I think we talk about a lot is just like the dynamic that he brings to the court and also how he kind of ups the tempo. So I think yeah. you could really other, and like also there's like this emotional way in which he plays that gets everybody mm-hmm. wrapped up in it and everybody invested. So seeing him come down the court and, you know, score shots, you know, hit the mean mug off the side, like all sorts of things like that. Um, we're just really integral to, I think, to the energy on the basketball court on that day. And just his general influence during that game was awesome. So, yeah. Energy is probably the number one word when they were down, when momentum was kind of getting out of hand, when Miami was pushing up the pace, pushing up the score. He came around, got a bucket, kept the tempo, and then late game he was scoring. And so he just really gave them a knee boost. And, I mean, look at the Miami game. Isaiah Wong, uh, guard Miami team, had 36 points against Cornell. Which, first of all, he's a great player, has had a really good year. But this that was by far the best game of his career, not even close. He was sensational, too. Came some ridiculous, hit, like, the same step-back three, like, four or five times. But yep. uh, some of that you can kind of just take where, hey, sometimes if a guy's going to make five step-back threes, he's going to make five step-back threes. Not much you can do about that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think just overall, those two games were definitely a learning curve, and you got to see some great performances and some not so good ones. Now, one thing that I do want to touch on before we, you know, head to our next segment is the Lehigh game because we got to mm-hmm. see what we don't typically see on the court, um, on the court this today. So, you know, we blew out Lehigh as expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I'll say it's nice bounce back for the team. Really good way to just kind of come back and off two straight losses. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And also, it's just, I think it was nice to see the freshmen get on the court and see what, you know, what sort of stuff that they could do. Um, I think out of all of them, I believe, was it Cooper Nord who had one of the more productive um, scoring that game? Yeah, no, yeah, he played really well, knocked down a three, and I think it was just a really good win. Get some, a nice win during the break. You get a, a team like Leahy, who's just not as good, for being honest. 
But again, he took care of business. That's all you can ask. That's a bad yeah. team. Greg Dolan played really well. Nas Williams, of course. Sean and Keller. Was uh, like a it was all just a really well orchestrated team. Guy Raglan Jr. with 13 off the bench. Really well orchestrated run game. No, uh, Guy Ragland's like performance that game was also really phenomenal. I enjoyed watching, and I, again, I know I said this already, but seeing people come off the bench and perform and get to see kind of, you know, the especially the freshmen and sophomores like you know get their sea legs, I guess, on the court mm-hmm. was thing, and just seeing the dynamic. So before we head over to our next segment, I guess I asked you, Sahini, what do you think is the biggest thing for Canal going into I guess Ivy play, which is about to head right around the corner, which is crazy to say. Yeah, I know. That's that's kind of jarring. I think it's like three or four games. I think um, for me personally, I don't know if you have this take as well. I think it's I think our attitude is really great, but it takes us a second to get there. So like first mentally and like more abstractly, our energy needs to be there the moment we come out of the gate. Like like, you know, the moment we come step out on the court, the fire needs to be in the belly and we need to come out hot. And then second thing in terms of technicality, um, I think when we I do I like the speed of our basketball I like the speed of our basketball but sometimes we let it get away from us and then when we get that large lead we get a little complacent and then people catch up if that makes sense yeah. like notice no. a yeah, very close right yeah so we play to the competition that we're against and that kind of you know gets us in trouble on occasion yeah I think that's something really interesting to think about so we definitely got uh, focus on. But um, now that that's out of the way, we talked about some previous games, I think we can move on to our injury today. Uh, going on for today, we have the sophomore guard from Nyack, New York, number one. Um, Nas Williams. Nas has had great years, 12 points a game, four rebounds, three assists. He's shooting well from the field, shooting a great 37% from three. And we're hoping to hear some inside, exciting things from him. But first, a quick message from our partner. This week's episode of Big Red Balls is brought to you by Big Red Fueling. Managed by sports dietitian Alyssa Harrington, Big Red Fueling is open five days a week from 2.30 to 4.45 at Bartels Hall, the home of Big Red Basketball, offering both in-season and out-season athletic snacks to fuel the performance and recovery. Staff provide valuable knowledge to inform athletes of optimal snack choices based on exercise and personal goals. Follow Big Red Fueling on Instagram, at Big Red Fueling. For infographics about all things sports nutrition, including college-friendly recipes, post- and pre-game suggestions, supplement safety, and much more. Hi, Naz. Welcome to the podcast, and just thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. No problem. So we're just going to jump right into questions. Um, so you're fresh, like you're fresh off of two games versus Syracuse and Miami, both really large teams. Um, what's one thing that you've taken away from both games? Um, the one thing I've taken away from both games is. Uh, we just have to get more stops. Um, last game versus Syracuse, uh, we started missing shots, and missing shots is going to happen sometimes, but we let it affect our defense, and that's not a formula for success. And I feel like that's why that game got away from us. And just the difference in size was a factor, but just the physicality of the games. We have to be a, um, a more physical and relentless team if we want to accomplish what we hope to accomplish this year. Okay, so speaking of physicality, you know, um, Dave and I mentioned how you play with a lot of physicality, like specific to your style. So does that, and you also mentioned size with Syracuse and Miami. So does maintaining that physicality and like that style in your play become more difficult when you play those larger teams? Um, Not really. 
uh, ACC refs allow for a little more physicality than Ivy League refs, so it actually enhances my physicality and helps me um, try to set the tone a little, a little more. Oh, awesome. So then during both games and just throughout the season in general, that physicality has led you to be a high scorer, averaging about 12 points per game. So what's the secret to your productivity? Um, Just letting the game come to me. I never really try to force any shots. Um, the ball always finds energy. So the more I pass it around to my teammates, um, the more the ball is going to come back around to me. And that's just on display. Okay, so then with in regards to um getting stops, do you think the secret to that is through moving back to zone defense or continuing the press that you guys have been running um most of the season? Um, continuing the press we've been running. Um, we also did like those two teams are pretty good, so you're not gonna stop them completely, but you just want to make things hard on them, and that's what we have to do to more teams. Uh, just make things harder on people. Uh, just have a little more effort and a sense of urgency, and I think we'll be fine. Okay. Gotcha. So then kind of moving on, when you step onto the court, what's a main goal you set for yourself, like an individual goal, I guess? Um, Honestly, I just want to set the tone and do whatever my team needs me for. You know, most games I make shots is when people are off and I just make some shots and everybody gets going. Or when I don't make shots, other people is always making shots. So I can just get them the ball and they'll make shots. So just to go with the flow of the game, not try to force anything, just let it come to me and just play my game. Okay, so then, in again, going off of the more individual, like, you know, reflection, um, what's one aspect of your game that you hope to improve over the season? Um, Probably my finishing. Like, around the basket, I feel like I missed too many shots that um, I usually make or should have made. And it's over with now, but it's still, I still feel it in my stomach, especially versus Boston College first game. I missed a layup that – or missed a pass that could have really put us a, um, in good position that game. So, yeah, just finishing around the basket and making better decisions. All right, all right. So then um, kind of moving off of the individual topic to more team-oriented, what's one thing you think the team does well and what's one thing you think the team can improve on as a whole? I know you touched on this a little, but, you know, just tying back to that. Yeah, Um since I already said it, uh, one thing we need to improve on is probably just our defensive effort and sense of urgency. Like sometimes we look a little apathetic out there, a little tired, and that's just the way we play. Sometimes we're going to be tired, but we can't show it, and it can't really affect how we play because the way we play, there's no re there's no excuse to be tired because we're running up and down, pressing, shooting fast. So that's one thing we need to improve on and something we're good at. I feel like we're good at sharing the ball. Um, like if you look at our point totals, it's never one person with 25 besides St. Francis when Sean went, when Sean went crazy, but there's, it's never usually like that. It's usually like 12, 12, 12, 12, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10. And I've, I really like how we play like that. Everybody feels involved. Everybody stays engaged in, even the people that don't play a lot, they're all, everybody's just waiting their turn because they know once they get in, they're going to get shots. Um, they're going to have a chance to actually prove themselves, and I like that. All right, so then, you know, Ivy play is right around the corner. So what do you think will be an integral part of the team's success during that segment of the season, and what's one team that you look forward to playing the most? Um, One thing that we need to do for Ivy season, just stay connected. Um. <clears throat> those games are always close like 
there's never a blowout in Ivy League. So we just have to all – and most of us that play have a lot of experience. So we all know that it's going to come down to the wire almost every single game. Like even the games people think we should win by a lot, all going to come down to the wire. Things are not going to go our way. So we just have to stay connected, stay as one while we go through the ups and downs of the season. And – you know, I'm I'm excited to play everybody, but Princeton did knock us out last year. So it's definitely circle for sure. So that's that's fun. I'm also looking forward to the Princeton game. I'm going to try to be there. But uh, kind of speaking of last year, you're now a sophomore. So how have you grown since your freshman year? And also, how have the upperclassmen on the team acted as mentors and leaders towards you? Yeah, i just grown by probably my patience. Last year, I would get in my head a lot just because I wanted everything, like, right, right now. Now, I don't ever feel the need to force anything. Just calm down and just play the game how it's supposed to be played. And, yeah, our upperclassmen, Greg, Marcus, it's really easy to lean on those guys. Like, they always have a level head. They're never too high, too low. So just looking at them every day, doing the same thing, being even killed, just straight to business that really helps me and I know it helps a lot of other people too because the trickle down effect from the top down that's sweet so um it's great to hear um now I'm gonna hand the questions over to David and he's just gonna kind of shift the kind of questions that you know we ask you yeah uh, again thank you for coming on Nas first question no no problem man just going back uh, just what got you into basketball what got you into hooping in general um Honestly, I lived in a complex with a basketball court, like kind of in the center of it. So all the older guys, everybody's just always outside hooping in the basketball court. My mom would just bring me outside like three, four, five years old just to the basketball court. And I just loved it from then doing full court layups, right hand, left hand at such a young age that. So, yeah, I feel like she really instilled it in me. Then like just growing up and. Just going outside, like, there wasn't much else to do besides play basketball. So I really enjoyed it forever. Yeah, and so talking about that early life, when you started playing a little bit, was there anyone you say in your life that was a mentor on or off the court, this movie being your mom that you talked about or a coach? Uh, Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Probably my first, like, real mentor outside of my family. It's probably uh, – my first AU coach, uh, J.R. Inman. Well, second AU coach, I guess, because it was sixth grade. J.R. Inman. Um, he went to the same high school as me, leading scorer there, went to Rutgers, thousand point scorer there. So like wow. He just he just um he really just kind of took me under his wing, helped me get into the high school that I went to. And like he really, yeah, he really did a lot for me. And I'm really thankful for that. And so Talking about, I think it's fascinating for every basketball player, and whether you play collegiate like you do or even in high school or middle school, I feel like every player has their mall. Like, So was there a particular NBA player or college player that you modeled your game after or you admired as a kid? Um, Not too much modeled my game after, but like one of my favorite players is like Paul George, Kawhi mm. Leonard. You know, I didn't get to grow to six seven, six eight, six nine <laughs> to uh really do what they do, but just the way they compete on both ends of the floor on every night, that really like 
I really look up to that. Like, I respect people that play defense and is really good at offense. So, just two-way players in the NBA, like, I've that, those are my role models, I guess. Nah, yeah, Kawhi and PG are two really good foundations. And so, talking about where you are now playing college basketball, was that something that you always wanted to do? Or was there opportunity or a moment that made it to where you wanted to do this um, going in the future? Um, yeah, that's something I always wanted to do. You know, just playing outside in the basketball court, like, it was so fun. But going home after the basketball court and watching TV and seeing people play on TV, that's that really inspired me. Because when I was in the basketball court, I feel like nobody was guarding me there. So I wanted to uh, showcase that on the hardwood, and I'm blessed that I'm able to do that. Yeah, and so going back to your academic journey, you we know you went to two different schools. How has that process been from then to now at Cornell? Um, different. You know, we all go to Cornell, so we know the workload is a little more than your average high school. So yeah, just really adjusting my time management. Last year was like a bit of a struggle for me with that, because all I want to do is hoop and hoop and hoop some more. But you got to stay on your stuff, and I feel like I'm doing a really good job of that this year. So the adjustment was like a year process for me, I'll say. And so now with the hindsight, uh, you've been a couple of years out, you're going back. Looking back, how do you talk about your recruitment process? Um, I, I probably can describe it in one word, like different. You know, it's like during COVID when I really started getting recruited, recruited. So they couldn't come see me play. I couldn't go in for any visits. So it was just different. It was like a lot of film-based. Uh, luckily, I had good film from uh, high school. And luckily, I ended up here in the perfect spot for me. So just blessed. And another question, just follow up to that, is so why Cornell? Why at the end of the day was Cornell the final choice for you? Um, It's a couple of reasons. It really just felt like, Every time we spoke, it just felt like family. Like I was already like one of the guys or one of the coaches' players already. Every time we would have a conversation, they just showed me the most hospitality. And second, um, Chris Mannon, we actually went to high school together. So, really so, cool. he was, so he was an advocate for me to come here. And, yeah, I appreciated him for that. And, yeah. I like playing with them, so it was an easy choice. There's a question I have for you. So my dad from the was grew up in the Bronx, New York City, and he would always tell me growing up that like New York City basketball is ridiculous because there's just so yeah. many people. The competition is it's wild over there. So a question I have for you is that. So how was that like? Whether it was AAU or like you talk about in high school, how was that compared to that this year? Because I know playing AAU from like sixth grade to senior year, you're gonna see like a group of guys. Like you're gonna see the dude you see like. For years, yeah. since he was like like a kid, how was that process like? You know that process is like it's a crazy process, honestly. Just like playing AU since like like high level AU since like mm -hmm. seventh grade, going to hoop group tournaments, uh, spring flings, things of that nature. Like you see guys really who's really good at a young age and like get better. Like R.J. Davis, I played against him a not not a bunch, but Sometimes. A good number of times. Now he's at North Carolina. Then you see, like, just other people just not pan out. 
to what they were projected to be when they were 13. And I feel like it's kind of unfair to put all that pressure on a 13-year-old. You just, like, never know. And it's just yeah. it's just a crazy scene. It's, it's, it's really cool, actually, now. Like, just growing up older, like, playing a bunch of guys in AAU, now seeing them on TV, watching them, playing against them. It's just, like, it's a cool experience. No, thanks for that. And you make and you mentioned a really interesting point about kind of the recruitment process. How at that, that age, there are a lot of like different websites or or recruiting sites that are going to say, "Oh, this twelve year old is the best player in his class," and then you never hear from him again. But I mean, it's just yeah, it's a lot of unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And so you now you've talked about your adjustment academically coming to Cornell. How did you talk about that adjustment athletically? Whether it was the speed of the game, the strength of your opponents. Um, honestly, the summer before I came into Cornell was probably my most productive summer like I ever had in my life. Uh, kudos to my guy, Tony. We was in the gym three times a day, every day, doing just a bunch of different things, just trying to get ready for this. Uh, I didn't really play that much defense in uh, high school or prep school, so I knew that's one thing that I wanted to get better at. And I just wanted to be like good at it because that'll always get you on the court. So athletically, I just wanted to get stronger, just a little faster. I still want to get stronger, faster, but just enough back then, just enough to um, get on the court. Now I just want to do the same thing I did, but instead of getting on the court, I just want to uh, separate myself a little more. Yeah. And, so now that you're a sophomore, of course, you have the new incoming freshman class. What advice would you give to them or even future freshmen as you get older about maintaining the balance in academics and athletics? Um, honestly, just you got to stay the course. Uh, you can't really get too down on yourself about a bad performance on the court or a bad grade in the class. Um, sometimes stuff happens. And you just have to stay solid, stay the course. Um, it's never the end of the world. Do your best. Um, that's all you can do. That's all anybody can ever ask from you. And things always get better. Like I just told you, like I had a year adjustment <laughs> to sports and basketball, uh, sports in school here. So sometimes you never know how long it's going to take. Could be a semester, could be to your first prelim. But it's always going to be an adjustment period. So you just can't get too down on yourself. You just have to keep pushing like every day. Keep pushing through it. We like it. We respect it. So last question I have for you is, what would you say was your biggest accomplishment just this season? You can be academically or I can be on the court. Um, My biggest accomplishment this season, um, probably something that doesn't even show up in, like, the stat book. Um, After the first game versus Boston College, I thought I played good, you know, 17 points, whatever. Yeah. But – me and my uh coach Earl watched film and he was just showing me all the little things that um I should have done or I, I was supposed to be doing, not should have done, but was supposed to be doing. And it really made me reflect on that game in a different type of way. And ever since then, um I made it a point a point of emphasis to really just do those little things like always press, always run, just to be relentless, because that's really what he asked of us. And I feel like that game 
Um, I let the crowd take me out of that relentlessness. I uh, let my scoring, making shots, uh, take me out of that relentlessness. And so my biggest accomplishment this year, I'll say, just getting back to being relentless. Um, if I'm scoring, if I'm not, just always having my foot on the gas pedal. And that's kudos to uh, Coach Earl for taking the time out and watching that film with me. Yeah. Thank you uh, for answering our questions. We really appreciate your insight. Yes, sure. uh, talked about game stuff and then talked about your personal information. So now we're going to switch gears to our overtime segment, uh, we'll be, which we'll be right back with. Okay, so now we have the overtime segment, five minutes of fast-paced questions, the same length as an NCAA overtime period. Um, Nas, are you ready? Yes. Okay, so just, just jump right in. Um, Louis or Nasties? Louis. Wow. I have two people now. Louis is the best. Yeah, exactly. Ah, that's so a little good. strong. I ain't gonna lie. That's a little strong word. <laughs> David, you held on to that grilled cheese that one night. Like it was like it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was you were holding good. on to you were like gripping the hell out of that grilled cheese. Like bro. I've never seen you behave that way with any of Nasty's food. <laughs> so, bro, it was good for you. It was cold, but nah, like it's just it's not you know, we're all getting this. But I right, question, follow question now. What's your go-to order? Go-to order, uh two cheeseburgers and fries. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so favorite NBA team. I'm just a fan of the game. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Are you a Knicks fan? Lakers. Lakers fan? Okay, okay, cool. I have follow question to that. LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. David, you're never going to win this debate. I hope you know we'll everything you're going to say Jordan every single time. Bro, it's the right. Six for six. <laughs> yeah. We'll get in the conversation. So, um, next question. Do you have a favorite, like, Christmas or a holiday gift? Um, money. Okay. Best answer. Best answer. <laughs> <laughs> Not for real. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, so, what will, you, what will your uh, dream job be? Um, dream job? Um, sports commentator slash analyst. Uh, okay, so then what's your favorite place to visit or go to in NYC? Um, hmm, good question. Actually, a new recent, not, it's not new, but a recent place that I just went to, uh, Skyline Drive-In Movie Theater. Mm. Beautiful site. They can have a in New York City. Yeah, and you see the whole skyline. That's wow. Cool. It's in Brooklyn. Cool. So, okay. What's your uh, favorite sport other than basketball? Football. Football, you got a team? Um, no, I'm just a fan of the game. But no. I, I got to say the Chiefs. Chiefs. That's like Patrick Mahomes. Nah. Okay. That's, that's a take. I don't know what kind of take it is, but it's just a take. Um, who has the best ox in the locker room, and what do they typically play? Uh, me. Little baby, right. G Herbo, Drake, A Boogie, all that. All right. So, uh, where on Central Campus would you add like another dining hall? Um, probably. I know y'all got practice late at night. I know y'all be hungry. Yeah, try to walk all the way over the north. Probably either the Ag Quad or the Engineering Quad. Okay. Two places close to the gym, so we can just leave, go right there, and eat. For sure. 
Hope Cornell listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, as an engineer, I desperately need a dining hall over there. That's a long walk. Yeah, it it sucks. There's like no food, no free food in that area. At all. Yeah. Anyways, um, next question. Um, if you were, if oh, actually no, favorite. What's your favorite celebration to do after making a shot? Like, do you have a go-to move or something? Uh, you know, I don't really like to celebrate. I just like to uh get back and play defense, or get up and play defense the way we play. Wait, wasn't the first game of the year against Boston College? Was it? Was you it mean mugged? You mean yeah. mugged? Only because it was an N one, <laughs> or a little flex sometimes. I got you. No, because we were watching that game and we both we were, we David were rolling. Goes, yeah, it was like it was it killed me. David goes, I was, mug. I was like, please. <laughs> that was a long yeah. mean mug too. Yeah. And they <laughs> replayed like it in slow-mo on the on TV too. So you like <laughs> mean mugged once and then they were like, look at that face. And then they played it in slow-mo over the camera. <laughs> it was a great time. All right. So if you were stuck on a desert island, desert island, what two teammates would you want to be with you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, one probably Sean. Sean, I feel like he would just know what to do. I don't know why I feel <laughs> that way, but I just feel like Sean would know what to do. <laughs> and two probably. Uh, hmm, will be the second one? Maybe Ryan. Ryan Kitchen, because Ryan, they're both Ryan. engineers. So, like, I feel like they can make something to get us out of there. I'm sure. Do you have any pregame rituals? Um, not really. Um, I have, like, a little routine. I try to just go up, go upstairs two hours before, make some shots. Hopefully the time runs off a lot. But if it does, I just go back downstairs. Until it's time to come back up. Cause I don't really like let me not say I don't like warming up, but I'd rather just be game time. I know what you mean. Get-go. You know what I mean? No, nah, but like, I just want to mm, play. Yeah, now before games, like we used to have like 30 minutes. We had to be warm up. I'm like, bro, I'm not warm up for 30 minutes. There ain't no way. Yeah, bro. We got 60. <laughs> yeah, <right>. that's crazy. <laughs> that's too much for real. Um, All right. So yeah. last question for you, Nas. Do you got a dad joke? Um, yeah, I do. Okay. Why was 2019 afraid of 2020? Why? Because they fought in 2021. That was so bad. That was a good one. You messed <laughs> that up. You messed so up. Bad. That was a good one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, we'll just edit on that. But um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, y'all enjoy break. You too. Thanks, Nas, for coming on the podcast today and, you know, just giving us valuable insight into the team. It's always great to hear from our players. Um, so now we're going to move on to our next our final segment of the podcast, which is talking about Cornell basketball for the next couple of weeks. And as many of you listeners may know, we are taking a break for the holidays for two weeks. So we'll be covering, you know, some of the Ivy season. Yeah, so up next, first game we're going to have is against Colgate, which Colgate's a solid team, 6-6. Six six. They have 
five players scoring ten po- over 10 points a game. So Dennis Little got four. They're a pretty good shooting team. So I honestly think it'll be a pretty good game for Cornell. Maybe not as easy as something like way high, but probably not something as tough as Miami. So I think it's a good way to kind of transition to that Ivy League tournament. The game with Binghamton will be next after that. That's that Dartmouth, who will be the first in Ivy League to play. Yeah, and honestly, I think um, Colgate, we can definitely handle. Bing, we can mm-hmm. definitely handle. Like, we've handled Bing before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then, but in regards to, you know, the start of the Ivy season, we, I think we honestly have a pretty solid, comfortable matchup with Dartmouth. So all around, statistically, they're pretty average. But um, in terms of scoring, they only have three players averaging above 10 points per game. Yeah, I think Dartmouth, honestly, I'm going to be candid here, should be a pretty good win for Cornell. Good way to start off your Ivy League season. And something that you can get kind of prepared for for the rest of the um the rest of the Ivy League. But nah, I think it's should be a pretty handy win for Cornell. Agreed. I think the only thing we would need to watch out for is that they're a pretty well rounded three point shooting team. Mm-hmm. Um and besides that, I think we're honestly set to play them. Yeah, I think honestly, uh, we're talking, we've talked a lot about Cornell, we've asked the player what they think is necessary when they go into Ivy play and how Nazim talks about how everybody's competitive. It's always close because everyone's scouting each other for now for months now. So, But I honestly think that Cornell's got a really good shot. I think the offense is there. I think the offense is one of the best parts of the team. I think when the team is firing off defensively, they're a really tough team to play. And honestly, I just think they have a unique it factor in them. I know that's not a very – uh, grounded thing that's intangible you can say, but the team's hard, is a hard working team, they always have fight and they don't give up easy. So, I think that's a lot of things that you can take from. I think one thing that's integral is that they know going into this, like you know, they were last time they played in the Ivy um tourney, um, we made it and like lost to Princeton at a pretty high level, so we know mm-hmm. what we're capable of. But also one thing that I've noticed, especially like in the basketball community, specifically in the Ivy basketball community, is that not many people believe that Cornell can do it again and actually go further. And I think um, the team is hell-bent on proving that sentiment wrong. And I really am yeah. excited to see what they do with that and how far they go. Because after Dartmouth, they play Penn and then straight to Princeton. Yeah, Penn is a team that's very interesting because that's a team I honestly thought would be pretty, very good. They were 6-7, and seven, which is not terrible, but it's also not exactly as good as I know a lot of people expect them to be coming in. Um, they are still dangerous, though, because they have a score that's leading one leaders of the Ivy League with 24.1 points per game, um, Jordan Dingle. And then their second their score being Clark uh, Slagerich, who gets another high-level score, averaging 17 points per game. So they can definitely put the ball on, on, in the hoop. But the problem with that team is that after those two, there's a noticeable drop-off to 10 points a game. So that's something Cornell's really def- – I'm sure they're going to be able to exploit the fact that Penn, after their first two guys, don't have a lot of go-to options. And we, unlike them, have a deeper bench. So even if Very true. Guys, you know get exhausted or you know somebody needs to be subbed in or subbed out, you know we have options. Yeah, so that's why I think Penn, despite their really big scoring prowess, will be a team that I think Cornell can handle pretty well. As long as I think they can contain some of the uh, – the other guys to let anyone else get off to a hot start. I think Cornell do pretty good against Penn. And then the last game they'll have is against Princeton. Princeton, who has the reigning Ivy League Player of the Year. Princeton is a good team, eight and four so far. They were able to once we knock 
Cornell out of the playoffs last year. But I think it will be a very good test, something definitely the guys looking forward to. Yeah, and I more than anything, I think the challenge will be locking down um Tucson and Wilma. Because, you know, last last year when we played Princeton, he was kind of the guy to beat. And yeah, he's bringing the heat again this year. Yeah, he's leading them in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. So he's definitely their team. But honestly, I think that's what Cornell can really be able to utilize that. Um, last year, they were a deeper team. They had more seniors. A lot of those guys graduated. So now Tucson is their team almost. He is kind of everything that they think they revolves around. Where Cornell is much more distributed equally among three or four guys. So I think that's something that Cornell can also utilize, knowing that Prince is going to run a lot of offense through him. If they can find a way to contain him in any way, they should have a pretty good chance against Princeton as well. Agreed, agreed. Well, I'll be definitely watching those games from my couch at home. Definitely. Um, Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. We're going to be taking a break for the holidays, so our next episode will be January 11th. We'll be covering the fourth interview for the women's team. So it's definitely something you're going to be looking forward to. Please share with your friends and family and follow the podcast on your platform. These two things help us grow the podcast and publicize Cornell Sports the most. Once again, you can follow Big Red Sports Network on Instagram at CornellBRSN or reach us at www.CornellBRSN.com. Special thanks to our producers, Matthew Furman, Gabe Zolot, Jay Klein, and the special Uma Comfort, and the rest of the BRSN team. I'm Dana Pega. And I'm Sohini Singh. And we'll see you next week. Go Big Red! <laughs>